Lord, I thank you today that we can come here and that we can worship, we can acknowledge, and we can be empowered by such a powerful name, the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you today that nothing can stand before it, Lord. We thank you there is no demon on this earth, Lord. There is no obstacle, Father God, in this place that can stand before that name. And Lord, we stand upon that name firm and sure today, the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Take your seat. God bless you. Thanks, guys. Good job. Give them a hand. Great job this morning. Thank you so much. I want to ask you a question this morning. Uh, I wonder if there's anybody in this room that ever finds themselves from time to time, um, circumstances get the better of you, and you find your heart full of anxiety, worry. Uh, It goes something like this. It it, it sneaks up on you on your blind side, doesn't it? You know, it's like one thing goes wrong, and then another thing goes wrong, and then something else happens, and then, I don't know, you run over the neighbor's cat, you smash your iPhone and find there's a knock in your, you know, in your, mo- your, your car engine on the way to work, and you think, my goodness, how much more can a man or a woman cope with? Uh, and it can actually be quite serious. I know I'm sort of making a bit of a joke about those things, but it can actually wake you in the middle of the night and um, not allow you to go back to sleep. Um, it can cause you to uh, undermine, it can cause your whole productivity of your day to be undermined. Uh, it's no wonder Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He, he says, it is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. I know I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again. Uh, rejoice in the Lord and he, and he tells us why he says because it's a safeguard for you now this is the third in our series on enjoy and if you're here for us this morning for the first time we welcome you we're you, you're kind of like coming halfway through the movie uh, but that's okay we'll, we'll catch you up and you should be able to to, to um, get something out of this uh, this message this morning I hope But I am talking to people who know what it's like to have their hearts filled with worry and concern. And it gets on you like a plague. It gets on you like a virus, like a disease. And you can't kind of shake it off. And it happens. happens to me. How many know what I'm talking about when I talk about this kind of virus? You just just get away from me. Um, Paul here is, is saying that your joy is the safeguard of your faith and let's be honest folks um, you safeguard what's of value to you Uh, most of you in this room made sure your car was locked before you walked into this building most of us in this room made sure the house was locked up before we left it this morning because these things have some value to us and because they have some value to us we want to make sure that they are safe Uh, If you have children, you want to make sure that they are safe. You spend uh, all kinds of money making sure that you've got the right, you know, uh, seats for your car, that that all the security that is required around the home to keep them safe is in place. Because if something or someone is of value to you, you don't leave it lying around. You don't leave it uh, open to some kind of attack. You do what you can to keep what's of value to you safe. Because here's the fact, and this is what I want you to understand this morning. This is, you've really got to put this in your mind. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, um, you understand what it's like to be filled with pain, the, the, the pain of worry and anxiety. 
uh, to the point almost where uh, you, you find it difficult to sleep or to concentrate at work. You've experienced that. Paul's writing to a bunch of people who are experiencing this. Um, they're living in a world that is really anti-Christian and, uh, and they are being sacked. They are being persecuted because of their faith. And Paul is saying, don't lose your joy. Don't lose your joy. I want you to think about this week that's just passed. Has there been a time when you've lost your joy? Because if the devil can't take your faith, he'll take your joy. And Paul goes on in the third chapter. We're going to try to cover the whole chapter to try to get our minds around what he's trying to tell us about not losing your joy. He gives us a really big why and a really big how later on in the chapter. Following verse 1, he goes into a bunch of verses we're not going to read for time's sake this morning, but fundamentally he's saying most people have their joy attached to something in this world, right? So to an achievement or, or, or to, uh, to a relationship, to a possession, most people have their joy attached to something or to someone. And of course, the problem with that is that, you know, if it's, it's, in my, uh, if it's in my retirement fund on the stock market, then, then my joy goes up and down with the, the, the vagrancies of the stock market. Uh, if my joy is attached to people, then, my, then my, my, my joy goes up and down as those people, you know, uh, have good moods and bad moods, as they're there and as they're not there. Uh, as they come and as they go, my joy goes like this, and we, we ride the roller coaster of joy. And the problem with this, of course, is that if your joy is attached to an unsecured thing, to a, uh, a person, to a, uh, an object, something that can be taken. If your joy is attached to an unsecure thing, then that leaves your heart insecure. If your joy is as a result of the unsecured object, then your heart is left in an insecure place. And that is the experience of the majority of the world in which you and I live, but not Paul, he says in verse 8. What is more, he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, but I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Could you imagine having such a relationship with Jesus that no matter what this world gives to you or takes from you, it doesn't matter. It's kind of like you, you ascribe everything that this world has to offer you as garbage. And let's face it, who has ever had anxiety over the rubbish being taken away? Whoever has grief because the garbage gets, gets thrown out? Nobody. And Paul has come to a point in his life where this world means very little to him. Such is the incredible worth of Jesus. And it's not that he looks upon these things with disdain, but that he has such an understanding of Christ that these things just don't match up. And I wonder who this morning in this room could say, hey, I had that kind of understanding of Christ, that the health and wealth of my world compare nothing to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, when you have this kind of a relationship with Jesus outside this world, you can't lose him. 
He, he can't get up. He's not going to get up and leave. Uh, he's not going to be knocked over in an accident. He's not going to find a, a better person and take off with them. He's not going to uh, let you down. When, when you have somebody like Jesus outside of the system of this world, you have a secure hope and therefore a secure heart. And I wonder this morning if, if, we, if we have this relationship. See, a lot of people, even Christians, have a relationship with Jesus based on what they can get from him, right? Oh, I love Jesus because he takes away my guilt and I don't have to feel it anymore. I love Jesus because he's going to get me into heaven. And it's kind of like I've leveraged him for what I can get out of him, but, but not Paul. Paul says, I want to know Christ in verse 10. I want to know him. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings. So Paul says, such is the amazing knowledge of Jesus Christ that in his sufferings I want to identify with him become like him even in his death and so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead Paul said I want to associate with him in his sufferings I think everybody in this room who's been around for more than 10 minutes knows what grief's about I think everybody in this room who's been around for a few years understands disappointment and suffering. But Paul points something out here that I hope change your point of view of suffering, change your perspective of grief, change your understanding of disappointment. And I hope you understood what he just said. And in case you missed it, allow me to explain it to you. Because Paul just gave us perhaps the greatest understanding on how to be able to have that joy in the midst of sorrow, how to be able to have that hope despite your circumstances, how to understand that there is a faith irrespective of what I see in the world. I wonder if you saw what he just said. Because everybody in the room, we all love breakthroughs. I love breakthroughs, you know. I mean, I, I love it when I get to a point and I go, wow, you know, this is, this is gone. The trial is over. Hallelujah. You know, uh, the disease is gone. Uh, this, that person has changed their decision. This is now the way I want it. This is now the way I, hallelujah, I've got my way. Amen. <laughs> Who loves to get their own way? <laughs> oh, come on, put your hands up. <laughs> I love it when I get my own way, right? And, and, and Paul is showing us something here that um, more important than the breakthrough. Did you know, some of you clearly know, I can see by looking at you how well you know this, there's only one way to develop your muscles. The only, the only way to develop your muscle is to break them down, is to put pressure on them. The, the way you develop your body is you put pressure on it, you break it down, and then it grows back, the muscle grows back more complex and stronger and larger than it was before. It's the only way to grow your body. There's no other way. The only way to grow your body is to put it under pressure and have that pressure break it down, and then once it's broken down, it will grow back, it it, it will develop, it will come back more complex, stronger and better than it was before Paul says I want to identify with him in his pain because for Paul he was the most important thing Paul understood something that I sometimes think we forget that as glorious as the breakthrough is 
And as wonderful as getting our own way is and, you know, having our prayers answered and getting the stuff we want, it's all good, right? But Paul says, better than that is as you are in that pressure cooker, as you are in that suffering, as you are in that, that crisis, you're being developed. You are being broken down. But you're only being broken down for one reason, so that you can come back more complex and stronger and more significant than you ever were before. See, Paul says, I want to identify with him in suffering so that I might understand and identify with him in his resurrection. Paul says, I want to develop and become more like Jesus. And the only way I can do that is to, is to uh, embrace the crisis, embrace the pressure, embrace the tough times, knowing that tough times never last, but tough people do. Knowing that this thing isn't going to leave me the way it found me. I'm going to come back stronger. I'm going to come back greater. I'm going to come back more like Christ than I ever were before. And for me, this is what's important. For me, what, it's not important that I get my own way. It's not important that I get the trinkets or that I get the breakthroughs. What's important is that Christ is developed in me. And the only way that happens is that I get broken down through the crisis so that Christ comes back through the resurrection. See, Paul was clearly what we might define as an, a, uh, an internalist. He develops something on the inside. Most people are externalists. Externalists live a very insecure life. The externalist lives on the basis of the circumstances around them. When things are good, they're good. When things are at peace, they're at peace. When there is joy, they have joy. That's the externalist. The internalist is the opposite. The internalist has a sense of power about themselves and therefore about their life. And they don't see it like that. They see it as if somehow it's not what happens to them, it's what happens through them that's going to actually change their future. And so they have control over their future, over the way they allow their circumstances to affect them. Um, J.P. Sheridan said, happiness is not in our circumstances, it's in ourselves." It's not something we see like a rainbow or feel like the heat of a fire. Happiness is something we are. It's who you be. <laughs> oh, bad English, I know. Sorry. It's who you be, Leaf. <laughs> it's whom you believe. <laughs> it's who you are. Happiness is in who you are, not in what you're touching. He says, uh, happiness is something where I believe in God, having his work, having his way in you, each matter is just a test to be worked through to grow from and that's the thing see Paul embraced the test because he knew what was on the other side of the test do you know what's on the other side of the test have you ever had your, your graduation uh, what did you do just before your graduation before you got your degree or before you passed that year and went on to the next what was it you did what was it you had you had a you had a a test right so Paul embraced the test because he knew that on the other side of the test was the graduation. And you've experienced that all your life. Now, how many people in this room want to say things like, you know, man, I just want more. I, I, want, to, I want to be able to serve God greater. I want to be able to do more. I'll tell you the, the key to doing more, the key, to, the key to being able to serve God in a greater way is being able to live with more pain and not lose your joy. 
See, the question is, how much pain can you endure and not lose your joy? Never ceases to amaze me how some Christians lose their joy at the drop of a hat. You know, someone says, oh, well, what about this? Or, or we don't like that. And, and they've lost their joy because they don't get their preference. They lose their joy. I've got to tell you, if you want to do something significant for God, you're going to be prepared to die to your preference and not lose your joy. You've got, to, you've got to be prepared to understand, I may not get my own way, but that's not going to affect my hope, my joy. My joy comes from within. My joy is not the result of outward circumstances. Not that I've already retained, Paul says as he goes on. I haven't already obtained this or have already made, been made perfect, but... I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of, uh, took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Let me just stop there for a moment. Because I just read a book called The One Thing. <laughs> the One Thing I Do. Do you know the difference between you and me and the people who achieve twice what we achieve in our lifetime? The difference is they know the one thing. In fact... Um, there is a, a halo effect around the one thing that if you can get the one thing right, everything else in your life just kind of like dominoes happen, they just fall they're, 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 as a result of the one thing. If you know the one thing in your life, then all the many things fall in the line behind the one thing. The question is, what's your one thing? What's the one thing? See, it's kind of like this, you have a domino and a domino knocks the next one over. What the dom a domino six inches can take out a domino a foot because each domino can take the next one twice its height. Now, you play that out after a few taps of a domino and you've got dominoes falling that, that exist between here and halfway to the moon and then the next one is from here to the moon. <laughs> That's how huge uh, uh, effect it can inevitably become. The synergy that, that kicks in where do you get the one thing right? You get the one thing right, you can change the world. You get the one thing right, you can change your future. What is the one thing? Paul said this one thing. This book I've just read called The One Thing didn't make any biblical um, uh, uh, acknowledgments. It wasn't written as a result of this, what Paul has said here, but it just struck me that Paul understood his one thing. This one thing. What was Paul's one thing? Let, let's, let's look together. Forgetting what is behind, he says, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Did you get it? What a great one thing, hey? In case you missed it, let me, let me just sort of tease it out a little bit for you. Some people think, well, there's the one thing heaven. Well, I don't think so. Because Paul cannot gain heaven. Heaven's a gift. If, if heaven was something that we were you know, competing for, vying for, then of course you know, we'd feel a sense of pride when we got there because we got there and others fell along the way. No, no, heaven is not something that we, uh, that we strive to get. Heaven is something given to us, folks. You get to heaven through grace, no, not through works and not through something that you have done. So it's not heaven. So is it perfection? Is Paul striving to be a better man? Is Paul wanting to deal with the idiosyncrasies and the, the, the failings of his, of his own personality? I don't think so. Again, 
nice thought doesn't really work the reason it doesn't really work is because if you accomplish your own perfection it's a dangerous thing because let's say you overcome your i don't know your, your alcoholism or you overcome your drug addiction or you overcome your bad moods or overcome your negative talk or you overcome your whatever it might happen to be then you get to the top of the mountain and you're perfect and you look down upon everybody else climbing up <laughs> and you get filled with pride because then you look down at people you're full of pride so you, you've got to the top of the mountain do 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 you're sitting on top of a whole bunch of doo-doo and you slip right down that's how it works <laughs> so it's dangerous <laughs> it's dangerous to think that you can become perfect just on the basis of your own do it's a gift so it's, it's, it's not heaven and it's not perfection so what what is it what is the one thing that paul strains forgetting what is behind it strains forward to grab a hold of i want to suggest to you that the one thing is purpose the one thing is purpose um we forget what is behind and we recognize i'm here for a lofty high reason remember the kids nursery rhyme pussycat pussycat where have you been i've been to london to see the oh you remember the very good <laughs> pussycat pussycat what did you there you want to finish it for me <laughs> that's right i frightened a mouse under the chair okay all right this is the story of humanity and i'll explain to you why i say that because we set out with a lofty goal we're gonna see the queen whoa that's pretty impressive isn't it hey we're gonna make a difference in this life i i want to make a difference you know god breaks your heart over something or somebody and you go, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to give my, give my whole self to this. This is the reason I live. Then what happens along the way? You get hungry. <laughs> right? The, the things of, uh, of life start to crowd around you. And now all of a sudden, I've got to pay the bills. I, I, I've got to get the kids to I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I've got, to, I've got this problem, and that problem. And, and what happens is you went to see the queen, and you finish up finding mice. How many people do you know like that? They started off with a high and lofty reason. But in the end, their carnal desires, for want of a better term, just this, the stuff of life got a hold of them. You start off, this is how it works, you start off being broken by something and you end up I should say you start up being broken for something and you end up being broken by something. Mutually exclusive concepts. I'm broken for this. I'm broken for the lost people of our city. I'm broken for this. I'm broken for that. And you set out to do something great, high and lofty to bring redemption to mankind or whatever, whatever. But along the way, you get broken by people. You get bitter. You get disappointed. You get angry. And then what happens? You revert to your natural desires for food or for whatever's going to fill your belly. 
You start off seeking the queen and you end up chasing mouse, mice. That's, that's the story. That little ch- ch- children's nursery rhyme is the story of mankind. And, uh, you know, amputees um, can experience uh, substantial pain from phantom limbs. Locked in their brain is the memory of what was once there. They can feel a hand to grab something even though their arm has been taken off. Or they feel like they can stand up even though their leg has been removed. This is a serious and a genuine issue for amputees. Dr. Paul Brand writes of one such patient, a man by the name of Mr. Barwick, who had serious and painful circulation problems in his leg, but he refused to allow the recommended amputation. As the pain grew, Barwick grew bitter. I hate it, he says. He was the administrator in Dr. Brand's medical school. I hate it, he would mutter about his leg. At last, he relented and told the doctor, I can't stand it anymore. I want you to take this leg off. But then he asked the doctor, what, what happens to the legs after they're removed? And the doctor said, we take a biopsy, we explore it a bit, and after that, we incinerate them. Uh, Barwick proceeded with the most bizarre request, Brand says. I would like you to preserve my leg in a pickling jar. I want to install it on a mantle shelf. Then I can sit in my armchair and I can taunt the leg. Ha ha, you can't hurt me anymore. (laughs) Ultimately, he had his wish. But despite that, the leg, according to Dr. Brand, had the last laugh. Barwick suffered phantom leg pains of the worst possible degree. The wound healed but he could feel the torturous pressure of swelling as the muscles cramped and as he had no prospect of relief he hated that leg with such intensity the pain was unaccountably lodged in his brain and the phantom limb had the had the last laugh and i read that and i thought isn't that like so many people who just are so bitter about something, so angry about something, they lodge it in their mind. It takes their focus day in, day out, day in, day out. If you get into a place where you can seek revenge against it, you can somehow bring some kind of judgment back against that which has hurt you. You think, well, that's going to make me feel better. uh, That particular chap thought this would make him feel better, but in the end, it almost killed him. That's why Paul said, I forget what's in the past. I turn my back on it. I I, I don't let shame, I don't let bitterness, I don't let disappointment, I don't let the actions of others come and seep into my heart, seep into my soul, seep into my mind. I press forward. I'm looking to what God is about to do and I'm not letting the failures of myself or others steal my joy. He goes on, he says in verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. If you want to be mature, then have an attitude, a view of things. Other translations say, this is the attitude that you should have. Uh, So if at some point you think differently, that as well, that too, God will make clear to you. In other words, eventually, this is the way you need to see it. This needs to be your attitude, that you are here for a purpose, and that everything that happens to you along the way is merely a test preparing you for that purpose. Therefore, you embrace the challenge. Therefore, you embrace the crisis without losing your joy. 
knowing that this is going to work for my betterment and for the betterment of the purpose of God in my life. You see, your attitude is the librarian of your past, the speaker to your present, and the prophet of your future. I don't need a prophecy to know what's going to happen in my tomorrow. My attitude tells me that. I don't need to read the stars. I don't need to have my tea leaves looked at to know what's going to happen. I can tell when my children were kind of like this high, what kind of adults they were going to be because I can see the attitude that they had. And and you kind of know, well, this kid's going to be this, this kid's going to be that, this is the way their life's going to take it. You can just see by the attitude that they are developing. Your attitude will determine your future. And Paul says, let this attitude be in you. Understand this. Don't let Satan rob your joy. Know that every challenge you have is a test. And then he goes on and he he outlines how people lose sight of this. And and I'll I'll finish with this this verse um, in terms of our study of this chapter. He says, friends, in verse, um, verse 18, He says, for as I've often told you before, now I tell you again with tears, many lives, um, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Uh, Their destiny is destruction. Why? Their God is their stomach, right? I've got to fill my stomach. Where's that mouse? Where's that mouse? I've got to fill that stomach. Where's that mouse? I set off for a high and lofty goal. I set off to do something powerful and significant with my life. Now I just want to run away and hide. Now I just want to tend to my own situation, my own, my own circumstances. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Folks, we've got to set our mind on heavenly things because earthly things are going to destroy you. If you allow the things of this world, of your life in this world, to eat into your spirit, they will destroy you. They will bring you down. Have you ever stubbed your toe? Have you ever been walking along without any shoes on or anything like this? Or, or, or maybe it's in the night, I don't know, and you sort of, you know, the call of nature in the middle of the night or something, and you get up and, I don't know, hypothetically speaking, your wife left her suitcase on the floor for about two weeks now. Anyway, on the floor. <laughs> hypothetically, I mean, I'm not saying this happened. You know, you only speak out of your experience. And... Uh, and, and, and you're walking through the dark and oh, you stub your toe and you just want to wake everybody up because you know it wasn't your fault the thing was there and uh, and, and you ah right let, let me tell you at that point when you stub your toe and you've been there or you've, you've, stubbed, you, you've hurt yourself at that point you are incredibly self-centered all right at that point you're not caring about anybody else but yourself you know why you're not caring about anyone else but yourself because you're in pain you know there's a lot of people in your world and you go oh, they're so self-centered you know what the real issue is they're in pain you, 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 you haven't you didn't see them stub their toe right? you didn't see their circumstance you've merely read their behavior and you've gone oh they're only interested in themselves they're only in it for what they can get out of it they're just self-centered you know something we are all self-centered when we are in pain We are all just concerned about dealing with this pain and getting out of the situation and filling our stomachs and doing whatever it is we can to survive when we're in that situation. But God has called you to be above that. 
The, the issue is not about, you know, dealing with your self-centeredness. The issue is about understanding God is, God is working on me and my pain is merely a process that's taking me to a higher plane. My pain is taking me to a higher plane. Therefore, I can embrace it with joy. Therefore, I don't have to lose my hope. Therefore, I don't have to let the stuff of life come and steal my faith. Because as he said in chapter one, verse 1, I should say, remember that your joy is the stronghold. It is the safety device that holds your faith. And what tends to happen is when you lose your joy, you wander from your purpose. That's what he's basically saying here. Lose your joy and wander from your purpose. Lose your joy, you know, and you get hungry looking for a mouse, looking for a mice, when really you set out to see the queen. How often do you see this happen? How often do you see two young people come and they, they dream of a life together, they get married and what happens and one person hurts the other person so they get them back and they hurt them back and then they hurt them back and then they're dreaming about what life would have been like if we never got married and they're thinking, oh, how much longer can I put up with this? And, and all of a sudden now it's about, it's about control and manipulation because I'm just trying to survive in this circumstance. I'm just trying to survive with this person. So I'm trying to control them and manipulate them and hide from them because I, I've just got to try to get myself out of here. I'm in this really horrible situation and, and, and they forgot what happened they forgot the whole purpose that they set out on this life together to achieve it's, it's gone by the by once upon a time oh when we get married we can do this and we can do this and we can do this that doesn't mean a thing anymore all it's about now is survival because if you are living on the basis of survival you have lost your joy Paul did not live. Paul says, uh, I abound in all things, even though he's in a prison cell. Because Paul knew how to abound in joy despite his circumstances. I, uh, I watched Andre Agassi um, versus Pete Sanfras. That gives my age away. That was a while ago. And, uh, and I'll never forget this particular match I watched as, as, as Sanfras, who had this you know, amazing serve that would blow anybody off the, off the court. Served down and, and Agassiz was, was, was hopeless against it. He tried, tried to get it back and fling it out this way, tried to get it back and fling it out that way. But watching Agassiz, the way he responded was a life lesson for me. As I, as I watched Andre, as, as, as Sam Fraser's serve were, were whizzing down at the, at the speed of sound kind of thing. And, and Agassiz was hopeless in his reply, trying to get the ball back, and it was flying off everywhere. It was kind of like, when that ball was done, it was kind of like he'd forget all about it. And he was there, and he could see in his face, just waiting for this next one to come, because I'm going to put this, it's going to be a winner. It's going to be a winner. And it would come down, he'd messed up again. And it was like, he, in his mind, you could see in his, in his face that not once did he ever think, I'm doomed. Not once did he ever think, I can't beat this. Not once did he ever think, I'm just not up to this guy. And he kept responding, and he kept responding, until finally, Sam Fraser's serve lost its edge. And Agassiz got one reply in. And of course, Agassiz had it over Sam Fraser, you know, in a base game and around the courts. And so eventually, Sam Fraser's serve starts to tire, and Agassiz starts to return and return, and, and starts to play his game. And it was, I think it was a five-setter, but in the end, Agassiz won. And I just thought to myself, you know, how easy is it for any one of us, when the enemy is sort of sailing them down at us, 
like at the speed of sand. And we go, man, oh, this is hopeless. Man, this was easy before I became a Christian. This was easy before I took a step of faith. This was easy before I decided I was going to live for God. Oh, you, it was easier before and, and, and the, the balls are coming at you. And, and you can start to lose your joy. Forgetting what is behind, I press forward to the purpose that God called me in the first place. And I'm just treating, this is just a test. This is, you know, tough times never last, right? Fast serves never last, <laughs> but tough people do. Eventually, the serve's going to slow down. And eventually, I'm going to get a bat on it. Eventually, I'm going to get a return. And eventually, if I keep my mind on my joy, I am going to identify having come through the suffering in his resurrection, and we will win. Let's bow our heads together. We're going to pray. Father, I thank you this morning that, uh, that you've set for us this incredible example whereby you embraced the suffering of the cross and were given this amazing resurrection. Lord, I, I know this morning this room is filled with people with all kinds of pain that I can't start to empathize with, I can't start to imagine, I, I can't start to understand. I, I don't know what's happened during the course of this week. I don't know what's happened during the course of this year or their, this lifetime, Lord. But Lord, I know this, that you have a purpose for their life. And I know this, that clearly what they're experiencing is nothing more than a stepping stone towards your ultimate purpose, the thing that you've laid a hold of for them. Father, I pray that rather than being consumed by the circumstance, We'd start to view it for the simple test that it is. It's going to take us onwards and upwards in Jesus' name. While we're just in a moment of prayer and our heads are bowed, eyes are closed, we're just reflecting on the word this morning and just reflecting on, on our lives. Um, we're not here just to fill in an hour and a half or so. We're actually here to, to do some business with God, I hope. And uh, maybe you have... You say to me, John, I, I have let my joy slip. I've let it slip. I've become a grumpy person. <laughs> I've, I, I've become full of worry and anxiety, depression almost. Maybe this morning this could help you. Maybe this morning you, like Paul, can simply view these things as a test. Maybe this morning you can shift the source of your joy from the things of this world to the person and to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Wow, that's a huge shift, I understand. But it's, a, it's an important shift just the same. And if you're in this room this morning, you say, you know, John, that's exactly where I'm at. This morning, I need to shift the source of my joy from my circumstances to his presence, to his person, 